Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. You joined us for episode 22 of Hope for Hard Times, the ungodly destroyed and the righteous rescued. This is the episode for Sunday, December 3rd, 2023. Well, I'm glad you're with us. Let's get right to it. Last week, we saw in the episode previous that if we are to go through suffering, times of trouble, whether it be anything from social disapproval all the way to martyrdom, depending on what someone is faced with, wherever they live at at any given time, when we go through hard times, we have to know that we know that we know the truth. And Peter said, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 2 Peter chapter 1, that we can know that we know the truth because of eyewitness testimony, that is, eyewitnesses like the Apostle Peter and the Apostle John to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, and his ascension, that we can know that we know the truth. Peter said even more than that, not only do we have the eyewitness testimony of the apostles, but we have the written prophetic truth, that is the Bible that God has given. So eyewitness testimony and prophetic truth, so that we can know that we know that we know the truth. Well, guess what Satan does? You didn't think he was going to let us get by that easy, did you? Of course not. So what Satan does is he tries to confuse that prophetic truth with false teachers. And this makes it a lot harder, especially in our day, to know exactly what the truth is and keep people within the truth and living by the truth because there's so much false teaching that's going on today. So it's even harder as we go through this world suffering trouble, small t, tribulation with a small t, just like the Lord Jesus Christ said we would if we love him and his word, that we would suffer. You know, if you live in some parts of the world today, it it might include actual martyrdom, being murdered for your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But here in the West, at this point, it might just be legal harassment or uh, repercussions at work or wherever you go to school if you're true to the Lord Jesus Christ. It may get worse. It may just be that because you are a Christian and you love the Lord in his word, maybe you're opposed in your ability to earn a living, and that is that demonic forces seek to just make your work a nightmare. I mean, there's a lot of ways that we can be opposed by the enemy. We can recognize it, and sometimes we might not recognize it. So let's look today in episode 22, the ungodly destroyed and the righteous rescued, about how can we, how can we maintain hope if even, even the truth we're given in the Bible is being misre- misrepresented mistaught, denied, scoffed at, even among those who say they're Christians. i give you an example. The rapture of the church is a, a biblical truth. 
And yet, even among professing Christians today, many of them, a growing number of them, scoff and mock about the idea that the Lord is coming back or the Lord would rapture his church. Shocking. It's truly shocking. It's appalling. And yet it falls right in line with what we're going to see today in 2 Peter chapter 2. All right, I'm working without a net today. I'm recording this in a, under different circumstances than I normally do. So let me switch now to my screen where I can read with you the chapter of 2 Peter chapter 2. We're only going to look at verses 1 through 9. So remember this, like this, this uh, flow chart, keep it in your mind as we go through this. We know that we can have hope because we know we have the truth based on eyewitness testimony and prophetic truth, that is the written scriptures. But Satan gums all that up with false teachers and that can get us down, but we need to remember in the midst of all this that the ungodly will be destroyed and the righteous will be rescued. So let's go to 2 Peter chapter 2, and let's go to verse 1. And I'm going to kind of read this today, even though I've studied for it. I have no notes. That would take a long explanation to explain why I have no notes, but I don't. So I'm doing this from memory of what I've studied. And to the best of my ability, we're going to discover this together. All right, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Now remember, he's just gotten through teaching that we have the sure word of prophecy, right? That is the Bible, all right? We've got that. Yes, shake your head, yes, like this, yes. And in the letter when it was originally written, there were no chapter divisions or verses. It was just a letter. So this was the next words after he wrote that in Second uh, Peter chapter 1. But there were false prophets also among the people. Now, what people is he talking about? The Jewish people. When Israel came out of Egypt, there was a mixed multitude with them, and all the way through their history, there were the true prophets of God, and there were false prophets, and there were, seemed like, way more of them than there were the true prophets. And if you've ever read the Old Testament, you know that's a fact. But there were false prophets the Greek word is pseudo-prophetes. These are people who proclaim, like, thus saith the Lord, but they're fake, fake, fake. They're false, and they teach error. But there were also false prophets. Let me reread that. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Now, this Greek word is pseudo-didaskalos, that is, false teachers. Wow. Israel operated under the burden of all those false prophets mixed in among the true prophets. And here we see, even as there shall be false teachers among you. The church has to operate today with a lot of false teachers mixed in among the teachers of the truth. But there were 
false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Now, what are they like? Well, we're told right here, what do they do? Who privily, that is a, like uh, they do this in a, a stealth form. They don't walk up and say, I'm gonna teach you error. They promise they're teaching you the truth from the Bible, but they pervert it. So they bring in this error uh, stealthily, secretly, uh, sly like a fox, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. They're going to uh, uh, secretly, uh, stealthily bring in things that are not true. They're not correct doctrine. So, well, how bad will it get? Well, well, check this out. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false prophets among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. That word denying, it can be a very strong word. In Greek, it, it means renouncing. That is like saying, I, I don't have anything to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Even denying the Lord that bought them, that word bought is the Greek word agorizo, and it means to buy out of the market. And so the Lord bought us out of the slave market of sin, right? That's the, the word picture here. And these false teachers, whether overtly or covertly, actually end up going to the extent that they are denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. That is impending, being, their, their being destroyed is imminent. Wow. Verse 2. You can see, by the way, why it's hard sometimes in our day to know what the truth is. The truth, the truth is out there. It's in the scriptures. But you have so many people teaching the scriptures wrongly and teaching things that are not the truth as the truth that especially for uh, newer believers, it's hard to know the difference. Even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Verse two, and many, let me read that again, and many, doesn't mean everybody, but a lot of people, and many shall follow their pernicious ways. That word follow means, think about it this way. They see these false teachers as a, a guide to be followed. And I'll tell you what, some of the most, and this doesn't mean everyone who is uh, well-known and respected today who teaches the Word. It doesn't mean they're automatically false teachers. But I'll tell you something that's interesting to me. A whole lot of them that are very popular are teaching error. Not all of them, but a big more than you would expect, more than you would think. And many shall follow. Hey, that's somebody that can lead the way. 
<laughs> and many shall follow their pernicious ways. You could use our phrase here, immoral lifestyles, where it says their pernicious ways. By reason of whom the way of truth, now that's the New Testament teaching, the gospel, the Bible, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Wow, not only do they confuse especially young believers in the Lord who can be led off in error, but even people who don't even know the Lord see the way these people teach and live, and, and they have a bad opinion of the gospel because they think they're representing the gospel. And, and the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. That's like a double whammy right there, people. <laughs> Verse 3, it gets worse. And through covetousness, this means just a, a, a overwhelming greed for money and things. And through covetousness, shall they with feigned words. In Greek, that means, it's, it's the Greek words, plastos, logos. And think of where, what word do we have that sounds like plastos? Uh, plastic? Plastic means it's pliable and malleable and can be formed, right? So these, these false teachers in Peter's day, and it's true today, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words. This means they make up stories. They craft stories to, to uh, ensnare followers. That's shocking, isn't it? And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. Now, Peter was warning the people of his day, and it's even a warning for people our day. These false teachers want to take advantage of you, especially money-wise. Think about that. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words, these are stories they make up, make merchandise of you. In other words, to a false teacher, for those who buy into what they're, they're telling, and, and literally end up buying what they're selling, they, they view that person as a transaction. They can make money off of that person following them and believing them. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. We get our English word emporium from... Uh, uh, the Greek word is where we get our word emporium from here for merchandise. That's shocking, isn't it? Whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. So when we realize what Peter has said here about false teachers in the church in his day, and false teachers in the church in our day, 
we naturally should say, well, how can this go on? Why doesn't the Lord do something? I mean, that's a very natural response. This is making it even harder to get the truth out or to know the truth or to believe the truth. Why doesn't God act? Peter says there at the end of verse 3, whose judgment, that's the judgment of God that's coming on them, now of a long time lingereth not. In other words, it's not, God's not going to be late on bringing his judgment to these folks. And their damnation slumbereth not. That is, it hasn't gone into, um, like gone asleep into inactivity. God has already been judging the faults and the ultimate big judgment. Put it this way. God's past judgment of false prophets and false livers and all of that. God's past judgments confirm to us when we look back to that and we can know for sure that these false teachers are going to come ultimately under the judgment of God. How do we know that? Well, let me put it this way. God's going to give us some biblical examples. And I know that you've heard someone very popular in the church who's supposed to be a great teacher of the word say that we need to unhitch from the Old Testament. It's time for Christians to unhitch from the Old Testament. That's pretty much a direct quote. Well, Peter disagrees. And you know what? If I have to choose, I'm going with Peter in the Bible, not with that teacher. Because Peter gives us here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, some examples of the fact that God has judged the faults in the past, and we can be certain he will judge it in the future. And every single one of them is out of, you guessed it, the Old Testament. So Peter did not think we needed to unhitch from the Old Testament. And I can assure you the Holy Spirit does not think we need to unhitch from the whole Old Testament because here are the examples we're going to see. Now, the first example we're going to see is spirit beings or spiritual beings, specifically angels, specifically what we might call demonic spirits. We'll look at that first. Then the next example he's going to give in verse 5 is physical beings. That is, God judged the physical world, and we'll see that. Then another example is God judged two cities. So we have spiritual beings and physical beings in the whole world, and then we have two specific cities that God judges. And yet in all of those examples, or two of those examples we're going to see, God's people were delivered and spared from that judgment. They weren't even in it. They weren't even involved in it. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) All right. I'm going to let you extrapolate on that about the rapture of the church. All right, but let's go back to verse 4 in 2 Peter 2. Now, what I'm about to read, this verse, you can read all about it in Genesis chapter 6. 
For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. So that's his first example that we can be sure that the ungodly will be destroyed and the righteous will be rescued because God has already brought judgment already in the past against spiritual beings, these angels. Now, God created the angels to to praise him and also to serve him and serve those he redeems, okay, the church. For if God spared not the angels, well, who were these angels that weren't spared this judgment? Well, these were, you might say initially, or you might think, well, these are the angels that rebelled with Lucifer. Well, that would be a good guess, except that these particular angels have been locked up and they're reserved under judgment. They're so evil, they've been put away. And we know that all of the angels that rebelled with Lucifer are not put away. Lucifer is not put away yet. He will be. (laughs) But um, so these are some other angels. What are they? Well, I believe it would be in Genesis 6. Now, this is a family program, so I'm not going to go into great detail in a a couple of these three, a few of these verses we're going to look at. But If you read in Genesis 6, it appears pretty clear that some of the angels began to cohabit with human women. I don't know how this happened. I can't explain it. But apparently, this was an attempt, many believe, this was an attempt by Lucifer to pollute the gene pool of the human race because he knew enough from his judgment in Genesis chapter 3 that the seed of the woman, the Messiah, who would destroy him, was coming through the human race. But he didn't know who, and he didn't know all the details, so he tries to to mess everything up so the Messiah can't come. And you can study about that on YouTube, and there's, there's so much we don't know about that, but we seem to be given enough information that that appears to be what's going on here. And it appears that these particular angels involved in that sin were, uh, well, let's just read the words. For God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved under judgment. So that's the number one example that we can be sure that these false teachers are going to be destroyed. The ungodly will be destroyed and all the ungodly and the righteous will be rescued because of this example right here. But that's just spiritual beings, angels who rebelled, right? And committed a particular type of sin. Then let's see verse five. This is a a passage you will be much more familiar with. And spared not the old world. So this is the entire earth here. And spared not the old world, 
but save Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So this is his second example. In the past, God destroyed all of the people who lived on the earth except Noah and his family. Eight people. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. By the way, Noah, I believe I'm correct in saying, was 120 years in putting together that ark. That ark had the same proportionate um, measures and width and length and all of that as what we would think of as a modern battleship. It was seaworthy. And if you want to see how big it was, go to the Ark Encounter. (laughs) Go see that and your jaw will drop. It wasn't a tiny little boat. And by the way, the world should have taken a clue because Noah preached, in essence, he preached Christ to them for 120 years. 120 years. 120 years, and they would not repent. They wouldn't repent. They refused to repent. They should have taken a clue when all of these animals, the clean, I believe I got this right, are, um, this, I don't want to get into that. I probably misquoted it. But he brought them in different ways, two by two. You go go back and read about that. And if you don't know where, guess what? Go to Genesis 6. Genesis 6 is a pivotal chapter in the Bible and world history, not just biblical history, world history. And you can read about that in Genesis 6 through 8, the flood. But the world should have taken a clue when they saw God bring all these animals to Noah. I mean, you would think at least one person would go like, huh, I've never seen that before. They wouldn't do it. And even if they noticed that, they refused to repent. Wow. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world on the ungodly. So if the gene pool was being polluted and man thought about evil only continually, and God started over with Noah and his family, wow, and that's what happened. Wow. You can be sure that false teachers in the church are ultimately going to be completely destroyed. The ungodly destroyed and the righteous rescued. Why do we know that? How God already dealt with the angels, those particular angels in Genesis 6, and how God dealt with the world that rejected him and rejected biblical truth in Genesis 6 through 8 in the flood. By the way, it was a real universal global flood. The entire world was flooded enough 
so that no one could survive it except Noah and his family and the ark. Think about that. All right, is, are, is there, are there any other examples that God has judged in the past and we can count on his judgment in the future that the ungodly will be destroyed and the righteous rescued? Absolutely. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, and this is where I'm not going to go into great detail. It is a family podcast. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18 and 19 is where men left the natural use of the woman and went after men, and women probably did the same thing. Women with women. And that's all I'm going to say to that extent. And you know what? God destroyed those two cities. But we're going to see in a moment that he rescues somebody in there who was a righteous person. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. And by the way, false teachers today try to say that the sin of those cities where they were they didn't show hospitality. <laughs> what a joke. Wrong. I mean, go read it for yourselves in Genesis 18 and 19, and it's as clear as can be. By the way, if you're wondering like, well, how do we know the flood was real and how do we know this happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Hey, Sodom and Gomorrah was epic in the history of the world after that. Everybody knew what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. And I want you to do, I'm giving you some homework. This will blow your mind. Go on YouTube and search, just use a phrase like uh, sulfur balls around Sodom and Gomorrah. And and that site of those cities that has been found, there's zero doubt about it. And go see what archaeologists and, and geologists will show you about the sulfur balls all over that place. And that's exactly what the Bible says in Genesis 6, uh, excuse me, Genesis 18 and 19, that God destroyed them with fire from heaven. Go and you search it out. It will amaze you what's around that area. And then the idea of the flood, well, you know what? We find uh, fossils that died quickly, not like over billions and billions of years. They died in a, a cataclysmic catastrophe, suddenly. And many of those fossils are perfectly preserved. But also, we find them out of order, as if they floated around and ended up in no particular order of the time they existed, Why? Because they were all mixed up in the ocean all over the world. And we find fossils on tops of mountains that are, should be in the sea. That's interesting. There's no doubt there was a global flood. And the religions of the world even maintain that truth 
even though they have some crazy stories of how it happened, those are just perversions of the actual event that did occur that's recorded in the Bible. All right, so we're not done with the uh, third example. Turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. Hey, take a clue, people. Sodom and Gomorrah, take a hint. Verse seven, and delivered just Lot. That is righteous Lot. He was the nephew of Abraham and he believed in God. Now, you know what? The interesting thing about Lot is he kind of, Noah kind of represents people, for example, in our day who really love the Lord and his word. And, and we know that that's true because we can, we can listen to them and we can see how they live and they love the Lord. And God rescued Noah, right? But in the example of Lot, it would be hard to look at Lot and know that he knew the Lord because where he lived had rubbed off on him so much And we're going to see that in verse 7. Not in how he lived, but how the people around him lived affected him so much that it was, you know, on the outside, there didn't seem to be a lot of difference. The outside did not reflect what was true in his heart. But you know what? Amazing grace, God delivered Lot anyway and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. That is, he was, he was just almost overwhelmed in a bad way, weighed down, um, just kind of like how we feel when we look around the world we live in today. Like this is one insane asylum that we live in today. Vexed with the filthy conversation. That word conversation in the the Greek word, it it means the way they live, their lifestyle. Just an immoral, ungodly lifestyle of the wicked. So it's a lot like today. And Lot lived in it and among it, and it, it affected him. And it affected his witness and his walk. And now today, I mean, we've got it on TV and on social media, every form of filth and wickedness, and it's affecting people who do not, who are not careful about what their eyes see and what their ears hear. And God would have us be more careful about that. But you know what? God delivered Lot by his grace, not because Lot deserved it. Amen? Verse 8 explains the effect of the world on Lot that he lived in. For that righteous man, so if you have any doubt that he'll be in heaven, God says he will be. For that righteous man dwelling among them I mean, he lived right there in there among them in these twin cities of wickedness. In seeing and hearing 
Let me read that again. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day. I get the sense that it was like day in, day out, the same perversion and sin and immorality and evil and hatred and wickedness vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Woo! Man, but God delivered him. Amen? And he judged them because they would not repent. Verse 9, here's the good news. And both, both, both things I'm going to read here are good news. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. That temptations there in the King James is from the Greek word trials. Our life today, as we go through this veil of tears, it is like a massive trial. Like what can happen today? Well, it probably can, and it may be worse than yesterday. The Lord knoweth how to deliver. You know what that word is, deliver in Greek? Rescue. The Lord knoweth how to deliver, to rescue the godly out of temptations. That is, to deliver the godly out of trials and to reserve the unjust, that's the ungodly, to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Brethren and sisters, both of those are great news. Listen, this week I heard a, a great Bible teacher explain how Nero, and I won't go into the details because they're painful, how he used Christians literally as torches to light the path from his wicked palace all the way down to the lake where the Colosseum is now, I'm told, used to be a lake. And, and that uh, descent down that hill was lined with human torches. And they were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless them, these martyrs who would not recant, who would not turn from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to say this with all seriousness, where it says the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. That's us, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. And to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. While I pray for those that I know and love to be born again, I take no joy in the fact that they might perish eternally and dwell forever in the lake of fire. The Lord Jesus Christ tells us this. He warns us about this. That pains me. And I seek ways as the Lord opens doors 
to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ before it's too late. That may be why you've been brought to this podcast today if you're not a Christian, to be warned that you might repent and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved before it's too late. That pains me to think about you or anyone I know or care about or work with or anything like that of them going to the lake of fire. But you know what? When I think of the Nero's of the world, it doesn't bother me at all that that rat will suffer eternally in hell because he ultimately rejected the Lord Jesus Christ in what he did. That doesn't bother me at all that a Hitler or a Nero would perish eternally. I mean, on one level, we don't want anyone to perish. But on another level, it's like they earned it. They worked overtime to earn that. Amen? So I want to encourage you today. It's great news to know. Verse 9, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So as you go through this world, my friend, if you're a Christian, sometimes things can be very hard and very discouraging. Just remember, the ungodly will be destroyed and the righteous will be rescued. Thank you for listening today. And if you are not a Christian yet, you still have time to repent of your sin and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And I hope you will do that before there's no more time to do so. To those of you who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, hang in there. It won't be long, and we will be home free. I want to invite all of you who are listening to like this episode, and if you've never done it before, to follow this podcast, and also today to share this podcast with someone who needs to hear the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening today, and if I'm still alive, (laughs) in other words, I haven't suffered my personal death yet by next week, or the rapture hasn't happened before then, I plan to be back next week with episode 23 of Hope for Hard Times. Bye-bye.